episode five. Today, we have an interview with GOP candidate for governor in 2018 in the Colorado race, Doug Robinson. Let's dive into that Virginia election a little further. Do you see yourself aligning with Trump's agenda early on or at all? I think it's a lesson to all politicians. You just got to be who you are. I think you got to stake out your own ground Mm -hmm. and talk about the principles and the things that matter to you. And, you know, when the president is in line with that, I'm going to be really supportive. If he's talking about things that I think are bad for Colorado, I'm going to speak up on that. If, in fact, the Trump administration started strictly enforcing the federal law in Colorado, would you invite that type of, you know, enforcement? I'm curious to know the balance that you place on on the taxes versus the black market. How do you feel that business has given you an edge in this race? Frankly frustrated about the lack of leadership to address some of our long-term issues in our state. And I think that somebody that comes from outside the system can jump in and make a real difference. He was willing to distance himself from some of the president's rhetoric, which I appreciated, while staying true to what he believes are important values in the Republican Party. In an off-cycle election, the turnout does tend to be low. If someone like Doug Robinson starts catering to the Republican base just for turnout purposes, I think that is what I believe to be the dark side of American politics. Episode five, halfway through the season. It's a great season. Solid. Solid season. A little different group around the microphones than previously. I got my best buddy here from Florida who found it prudent to make his way up here just to be on the podcast. This thing has run rampant in the Florida campus. (laughs) (laughs) And and, uh, so... Robbie's at the table. He'll do a quick intro in a second. And we also have Kyle Muma. Sorry, I don't have the British accent, everybody. None of that today. No, but it's a great sultry voice. And in fact, I think we're going to use you to do... We have a new initiative. I think I'll preface the whole thing by saying the podcast, again, and I've said it every every episode, it's really gaining legs around campus. I continue to get people asking when they could come on. And a lot of it is actually becoming in response to soapboxes or points that we've made on on the on the show and they want to come back and debate those further which was the whole purpose of this in the first place was to promote a different perspective on campus that is uh, a campus that is otherwise fairly liberal we have more of a conservative lean as as uh, we've mentioned in the past but we're we really uh, well that's why you guys are here to keep me grounded for sure because i think i went off a little bit last time kyle kyle left in a bad mood it's okay. We'll, we're going to talk about it. We're going to do a little after hours episode and yeah. walk through some of it. And so that's what I wanted to introduce. So we're going to start these after hours or maybe overtime or whatever. Late night sounded a little too <laughs> a little too adult for us. So we're not going to call it late night. <laughs> um, but I think it'll be fun and we can dive in to these issues further and uh, really like hone in. Kyle and I want to talk about the Clinton trifecta, as I called it last time. Um, we're going to have a tech valuations. Another student at, at Fuqua is going to debate Cove coming up. And so we'll, we'll, these will be shorter, 15 to 20 minutes. Um, and I, I think it'll be really good. 
I was also humbled last week because someone nominated me after hearing my soapbox about standing for the national anthem in episode three. And I was nominated to do Fuqua, Fuqua talks or Fuqua listens. I can't remember. Fuqua listens. Fuqua listens. It, it, it's, I don't really understand it because someone's talking and someone's listening and both of them. So the, <laughs> I think Fuqua listens is a shorter speech. Fuqua talks is like 20 minutes. Uh, they only want to hear me for three. So that's fine. But I'm going to talk about athlete activism. Potentially, I'm not, I, I went through the nomination process. I interviewed yesterday and we'll see if I make it. Um, but the whole purpose of bringing that up on here is the voice is getting out there and people want, I think the people have uh, an interest in hearing the, the opposite side of issues that are raised on campus and so bringing all perspectives to the table is important. Um, having said that, we have a new perspective. I introduced him earlier, Robbie Keefe. Uh, do you want to give a quick 20 seconds on yourself there? Sure. I'm a third year law student. Uh, down at the University of Florida in Gainesville, uh, born and raised in Florida, and I went to Hopkins with Jake. That's where we met. So happy to be here. First time at Duke. First, first time at Duke. We're going to the basketball game tonight. Go Duke. Uh, Friendsgiving tomorrow. We have a, a full schedule. Um, very excited today. I've added another layer of complexity to my job watching the lyric go by on the screen. Last week, I added a soundbite that was big for us, a soundbite mid-episode, mid so I didn't edit that later. And I do want to say, I don't edit these. These are raw conversations, which I think even uh, brings more meaning to them. Um, but today, we have an interview, and it's with GOP candidate for governor in 2018 in the Colorado race, Doug Robinson, and he joins us now hello doug yeah hey hey great all right thanks again for your time we really appreciate this we we're talking a little bit about uh, agenda of the call interview and there are a few different buckets that we wanted to talk to you about one kind of a brief history of, of colorado politics since uh, 2000 and what that looks like as far as being a blue state um and then any learnings that you might have had from the virginia off-cycle election last week Move, and then moving into more of your agenda for Colorado and, and what, what you're campaigning on. And finally, millennials and politics and, and how you really rallied the, the millennial electorate um, in your favor. So those were the overarching topics that we would love to discuss with you. Does that sound okay, like a good plan? I'll, all right. Well, I'll, I'll get going and, and I'll go for a couple minutes and then I'll stop and you can ask questions or redirect me in different ways. How does that sound? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So I think uh, Colorado politics at the state level, you have to go back even further, and you have to realize that in the past 60 years, there have been two Republican governors and uh, something like uh, uh, six or seven Democrats. Mm -hmm. So the Democrats have really dominated control of the governor's mansion, um, but it has tended to be more Western pro-business, moderate Democrats, and I would put our current governor, John Hickenlooper, into that bucket. And, uh, you know, this time, uh, it's a vitally important election, and most of the Democrats that are running are, I wouldn't put in that bucket at all. I'd put them as uh, very, very left. Uh, the leading Democrat, Jared Polis, mm -hmm. um, who has a lot of resources and so on, for example, he wants to put the oil and gas industry out of business in 20 years. He wants 100% renewable energies in Colorado. 
And, uh, you know, we all love renewable energy. That's great. We want more renewable. But to pick an industry that today is 10% of the GDP and employs over 100,000 people uh, directly and indirectly, and to say we're going to, you know, use government's strong hand to to, uh, put them out of business is not going to sit well, I think. So there is an opportunity here this cycle for a more sensible uh, and practical Republican to get elected. Another thing that changed the last uh, a year ago, November, was that Coloradans put in place a uh, open primary. So for the first time ever in history, unaffiliated will be able to vote in either the Democrat or the Republican primary. They won't be able to vote in both, but they'll get a ballot in the mail and they'll be able to vote in one or the other. And and right now, the political landscape in Colorado, there's 5.4 million people that live in the state. 3.2 million are registered voters. A million each, Republicans and Democrats, within just a few thousand of each other. And the biggest group is the unaffiliated. It's uh, 1.2 million. And so they'll have a chance to vote in the uh, uh in the primaries, and I think that'll have a, a, a pretty significant impact as well. So, is, is there any? Um, um, that's a little bit on the background. Yeah. Sure. Is there any data or polling that maybe your team has done or others that um, has broken down that unaffiliated group further than the one point two? Is there any leaning one way or the yeah. other that you can see? Yeah. Yeah. So they they lean almost sixty percent Democrat. Okay. So. Uh, it's not quite maybe 58 or something like that mm-hmm. uh, lean Democrat and the others uh, lean Republican. And so it's really going to be a question of turnout, right? So right. this is an off year election. And, you know, what we saw in Virginia was that the turnout was really very low. Uh, it was more energized among Democrats. So this is a concerning note for Republicans across the country, right? The Democratic turnout was pretty high. Republican turnout was low and, uh, unaffiliated turnout was low. Um, we had an election here in, in Colorado as well. We didn't have any statewide offices, so it was mostly school board and city council races and, and those sorts of things. And uh, the turnout was generally very low with uh, independents, uh, something like 30% of independents actually voting So or in the unaffiliated, so a, a very low turnout. So... Um, That'll be good and bad in this next cycle. Uh, you know, a year from now when we have the general election in Colorado, I think it gives uh, Republicans a, a pretty good chance because historically Republicans vote at a higher level than Democrats and uh, independents less than both of them. Uh, so that, that does give us a, a, a good chance. You know, the wild card is really around what happens in D.C. and can Republicans in the next month get their act together and sign a uh, or, you know, put together a, uh, a tax reform proposal that the president can sign? Um, if they do that, if people start to see the impact of more money in their pocketbook and, and uh, economic growth coming out of that, I think it puts us in a pretty good place. If that doesn't happen, I think it's going to be tough sledding for a lot of Republicans across the country. So let's let's dive into that Virginia election a little further, because conservative media pundits have criticized Ed Gillespie in Virginia for aligning his agenda and campaign with Trump too late in the game. 
And so it, it looked like right. when, when Trump did you know, his robo-conference or whatever it was toward the end of that uh, campaign, closer to the election, it looked like an act of desperation. And so my question to you would be, as a strategy, do you see yourself aligning with Trump's agenda early on or at all? Uh, and what does that look like for your campaign in Colorado, do you think? Yeah, so that's a great question. And, you know, I would say, I mean, people have known Ed Gillespie for years. For years he's been in politics, and he's always been viewed as a more, you know, middle-of-the-road, thoughtful, practical, mainstream conservative, right? And yeah. and so I think a lot of people kind of scratched their heads when he suddenly started to talk, you know, some of the, you know, anti-immigrant and, and uh, some of this stuff that, that uh, he felt was going to help him with with the base of the party there. So, you know, I think it's a lesson to all politicians. You just got to be who you are and uh, you have to run um, the way that you are. And, you know, I tend to look at, uh, you know, a lot of Trump's agenda, I think, is actually really pretty good. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm really, uh, you know, Neil Gorsuch as a Supreme Court justice, that was fantastic. You know, what he's actually doing, it doesn't get much coverage, but in terms of the people that he's put in charge of the agencies of government, Ben Carson and Ryan Zinke and Betsy DeVos, they are making real changes uh, to uh, reduce the burden of regulation on the industries and uh, that they have responsibility for and so on to provide more choice and more opportunity to be more efficient in government. One of the my favorite ones coming out of the technology industry really is that uh, just this last summer, the General Services Administration did away that, that with the requirement that any new software that the uh, federal government buys be certified to be Y2K compliant. Uh, so <laughs> it's about time, right? 17 years later. Yeah. Uh, so that, that was a, somebody had a business validating that it was, you know, the, that software worked and so on, and it just didn't get done. So there's good things that are happening you know our economy is is uh, doing well you know hillary clinton clinton was president would our stock market be where it is no way and uh, so there's a lot of positive things that have happened but then the divisiveness the uh you know going after um people in the party the anti-immigrant message that does none of that resonates with me and i don't think it resonates with a lot of conservative republicans uh, and uh, so, you know, I think you got to stake out your own ground mm -hmm. and talk about the principles and the things that matter to you. And, you know, when the president is in line with that, I'm going to be really supportive. If he's talking about things that I think are bad for Colorado, I'm going to speak up on that. Yeah. And I'd love to uh, tap into your agenda um, in a second. One question within kind of the same conversation we were just having is Tom Tancredo has entered yet again into the race uh, for a third time looking at a, a, at a seat, you know, in the governor's mansion. And he really seems to be a Steve Bannon guy in there for a Trump guy. So does that to you pose any difficulty with, um, you know, aligning your agenda with, with someone? Does he seem more like super right Republican or not, or how does how does that change the dynamic of the race for you? That's what I'm getting at. Yeah, so Tom Tom Tancredo, he's attracted to a, a group of uh, uh, of Republicans that you know. His I was just at a um, a message with you know a, a candidate forum with him 
Monday night, and you know he talks about anti-immigrants. He talks about uh, uh, you know free speech on college campuses, and and uh, you know those sorts of things that does resonate with a uh, uh, resonate with a group of uh, Republicans, and uh, so I think he's going to get strong support from that group, the base of the party. You know, it's going to be a um, either several candidates in the race. Uh, that'll get winnowed down, but there's likely to be uh, maybe four or five of us in the uh, in the primary on the ballot, and so I think that speaks well to my chances. He'll get a, you know, a, a, you know, fifteen, twenty percent, something like that, likely, and uh, so you know, the winner may win with twenty five percent of the vote. Sure, and and so you've brought up immigration a couple times, and I'd love to talk to you a little bit about that because it is a sensitive issue, and. Denver and Boulder and Aurora and others being sanctuary cities. Do you have a stance on in it, it? So far, you have said anti. Or you're not anti-immigration, so you you know pro newcomers coming to Colorado. What about those that are illegal? And where do you stand on on the sanctuary city yeah, issue? Yeah, so we have to exactly. So we want we want legal immigration. All of us want that, right? So you know, I'm not for sanctuary cities. I mean. We, I, I'm a rule of law guy. I mean, we were, well, obey the law whether we like it or not, right? We don't, there aren't all the laws that we agree with or think are the right things or whatever, but we we live by the laws in this country. We have a democratic process to determine what those laws are. And and uh, so, you know, I'm not for sanctuary cities. And, and if I were governor, I would use the persuasion and the ability, uh, maybe some financial prodding and so on to encourage them to rethink their status and uh, to uh, get in compliance with the law. So we do have to have a, a process for legal immigration that works. And so I am for immigration reform. I do want to have a, a you know strong border security. I think that's important. How can you, you have to know who's in your country and who isn't and, and have to be able to uh, manage um, uh, the immigration flow uh in and out of the country, so you know, absolutely, we have to do uh, uh, to do that. Um, but I don't think we want to be perceived as Republicans as anti-immigrant. We're really not. We we embrace all people. All of us come from immigrant backgrounds at some point uh, in our, uh, you know, people that come here for better opportunities and a, and a better life. And we encourage that. We're the party of opportunity. What we, are, what we do want people to do is to obey the laws and to live by the law, and we expect our cities and, uh, and counties and, and others to do that as well. And, and so in that vein, um, are, are you familiar with uh, what's been dubbed Kate's Law? committing a... Yes, I am, yeah. That's, isn't, this is about the uh, woman that was sure. killed in San Francisco, and it was a, uh, a felon that had... Uh, had killed her, right? Sure. Uh, so yeah. Health. So Kate Steinle and then uh, Bill O'Reilly was the big media pundit that was really pushing Kate's law through Congress through his kind of strong arm, if you will. And so, what what would be your response to implementing something like Kate's law as far as an immigration policy in Colorado? Would something like that appeal I think to? That makes, I think that makes uh, perfect sense to me. So uh, I would be uh, supportive of that. I mean, we don't we don't want felons. Uh, in our country of any any sort, you know, but, it, but I mean, uh, those that are, that have, uh, I mean, we do believe in people to, to change and to improve their lives and so on. I met a guy the other day who uh, 
uh, was really enthusiastic about my campaign, and afterwards he said, you know, I can't vote for you. I said, why is that? He said, because I'm, you know, an ex-felon, and I made some mistakes in my youth, and so on. He's still paying the consequences of that. So people do change and, and uh, so on. But if they're from another ch- country and they commit a crime here, uh, we want to send it back. We don't want them here. Uh, I, I completely agree. Another agenda item that's interesting perspective that or, or stance that you've taken is in the legalization of marijuana. And it seems yeah. to be a fairly unpopular vote that happened several years ago to legalize it in the state of Colorado. But it seems that you've really embraced that and looking to maybe even squeeze some more tax dollars out of that. Can you can you elaborate a little further? Well, I was uh, I was not for the legalization of marijuana in Colorado, and I thought that was not a good idea. Yep. Uh, once it passed, and the voters voted uh, 55-45, then we had a choice to make: do we uh, go forward and hurt our state, or do we try to? make this industry a contributor to uh, to the Colorado of the future. And, and specifically, do we get the taxes that we thought we were going to get out of it? Do we go after the black market, which we were sold on that uh, once it was legal, the black market would shrink or go away? It's actually grown. Uh, and do we keep it out of the hands of our kids? Do we educate them about the dangers of the high THC products that are out there and the differences between the... Um, you know the, the high CBD oil products that are have low THC that are that have, have shown some medical efficacy and so on versus the the very opposite the very high the dabbing and the waxes and the shatters that are the really high potency THC products and so I've been a leader in in really trying to make sure that the marijuana industry that we have here that the voters voted for that it, it doesn't really hurt Colorado so. Just in the last few years, I have sponsored the organization that I've been involved in and passed legislation around requiring individual packaging so that uh, kids can't get into their uh, parents' edibles and other stuff. Disclosure of uh, THC content and potency on the labels, marking uh, edibles that that uh, have marijuana in them so the kids know that this is something different than the other cookie that I think I you know, may want to eat, taking uh, Swedish fish and gummy bears off the market, um, uh, requiring that, that the grow, home grows, it was, it, you used to be able to grow 99 plants. Now, because of our efforts, you can only grow 12. So those are the types of things that, that I've been a real advocate on. And I think that, that most Coloradans are in that place. Um, they voted for legalization uh, decriminalization, uh, but they they don't want the negative consequences to uh, really hurt our state. Hey, Doug, this is Robbie here. I have a related question. You know, I assume now in the years since that passed, you know, there's there's small businesses now in Colorado operating legally selling uh, marijuana. How would you respond to you know if if in fact the Trump administration started strictly enforcing the federal law in Colorado? you know, raiding these businesses, shutting them down, how would you, would you support the, you know, the, the, these small businesses or would you invite that type of, you know, enforcement by the federal government? So when the uh, Obama administration, they had a choice to make after the voters of Colorado passed, we're the first in the country to pass 
by ballot initiative or by the popular vote of the future direct democracy a law that was in conflict with the federal law. And so the Obama administration put together a memo from the assistant director of the uh, Drug Enforcement Administration um, called the Cole Memo, which basically outlined the factors that they were going to look at. And there were eight specific factors, and they said, basically, we'll let this experiment go forward, but we're going to be keeping an eye on such things as increase in driver deaths of people under marijuana, increase in the black market activity, increase in criminal activity, and and uh, marijuana um, being shipped out of state from Colorado, increase in youth use, and uh, and there's eight of these criteria. And I think that's pretty thoughtful. It's a, it's a pretty good uh, list of, of, uh, of criteria. And most of those I think we can handle here in Colorado. We need more robust enforcement, more resources on the law enforcement side to go after the black market. We want the federal government to help us with that. And so I would be a favor in favor of the, if I were governor, um, reaching out as we needed help from the feds to assist us, but not uh, still honoring the will of the voters. Doug, this is Kyle. One, one other question on this topic, not to go on too long here on this one but i'm curious to know the balance that you place on on the taxes versus the black market i think you know the the tax is important and if you're going to have it legal you you want to to get the tax revenue from from those sales it seems like there's there's been a significant amount in colorado uh, and it's and it's being put to good use i know things like education are a huge priority for you and and putting that money towards those causes uh is important at the same time if you take the tax rate too high uh then you you potentially increase that black market activity uh, as folks go go elsewhere so I'm, I'm just curious how you how you balance those two priorities moving forward I think we got the tax rate about right where it is, uh, but the but the complication is that we have two markets in Colorado. We actually have more than that because we have the black and the gray market and others. But we have a legal um, recreational industry, and we have a legal medical marijuana industry. and And I think there's a lot of of abuse in the medical industry, and in that um, it's very easy for somebody to go and get a uh, a prescription from a a doctor pointed from a dispensary and so on, and, and uh, be able to purchase medical marijuana, which has just the state sales tax on it, which is 2.9%. Uh, and in some jurisdictions, there's not even any sales tax, but uh, it's much lower than, than about a 25% tax that is uh, paid on the recreational side. So a lot of people, you know, go and get that uh, medical card, I think, largely to avoid paying taxes are really using it for recreational purposes so I would probably put in place a uh, you know a couple of simple changes one would be to say okay if you're going to get a uh, prescription for marijuana it has to be from an existing doctor that you've had a relationship with that this is your doctor and he thinks it's the right thing he'll write the prescription you'll do it and you can't just go down the street and pay some money and have you know one of these quote pot doctors um prescribe uh, for you. So I think if, if we made that change, you know, these prescriptions last for a year. Uh, it's like your eye, you know, uh, prescription or something um, that we would start to see a lot of people that would then go into the recreational marketplace and uh, pay more taxes and, 
and we could use those taxes in ways that she talked about that would be uh, helpful to other causes, other priorities that we have in Colorado. Yeah, I think that's really smart. And I, when that referendum came up, I was strongly against it. And you kind of see, you see the 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 outcome of the legalization of marijuana, and and it very simple example of sitting at a at a stoplight and you know the driver is very distracted and you you wonder what's going on are they text texting and driving are they on the phone call and then they roll their window down you see this big puff of smoke come out and it's just it's it's frustrating actually i mean but there's no there's not like a a a a bac blood alcohol content like like you can screen for alcohol in, in such cases as you know traffic violations and so forth so it's a tough containment measure and yeah. I, I i appreciate that you're really looking into um you know who who has yeah. access so to it a, you know just like any you know alcohol and and uh tobacco use and other um uh you know things that people do other substances that people use the societal costs way outweigh the tax revenues that we that we gather i was just yesterday um, heard a woman, uh, and I haven't really studied to validate her research, but she was saying, and, and that you know, in, in uh, uh, last year the marijuana taxes were about 180 million that came in from the the uh, legal marijuana market in Colorado, and she'd done some math around the increase in uh, DUID accidents and deaths when. Colorado was, I mean, when uh, the driver was, um, uh, you know, under the influence of marijuana, and she calculated the, the cost of that at $175 million. And uh, so that's just one of many unintended, you know, or I guess we knew they were going to happen, but consequences, and there are, you know, all sorts of, uh, of others um, that have, you know, just as an example, I have a, a good friend who's in the... Um, moving business. He runs one of the largest moving companies in Colorado. It's been in the family for over a hundred years and uh, they're under federal law. So they have to randomly drug test their drivers at least once every two years. Every driver has to be randomly drug tested. And so they have a, a procedure for doing that. And um, for years and years, the average was just under 20% of his workforce would test positively for marijuana or, or some other drug. And they have a two strikes you're out policy. So first they give you some, some, uh, you know, addiction help or, or other help and so on. And then second time you're, you're done. And now that, that rate is just about doubled uh, for him in the last few years. And now it's just over 40% wow. is the, the rate. And uh, so he says that costs him the cost of, uh, hiring, finding, hiring, training a new commercial driver's license driver to drive a moving van. It's about $10,000. And uh, he's got hundreds of drivers. And so this is a very real sure. impact on his business. So, you know, there's lots of those sort of anecdotal things out there. Sure. Sure. And I mean, even more reason to appreciate your, your agenda as, or future potential policies as far as containment and, and who has access. And, um, so to- definitely appreciate that. Would love to move into kind of the the millennial scene that you are experiencing yeah. within your electorate. Um, and given that you know 
you're on the phone with a couple MBA students and you yourself come from a career business. How do you feel that business has given you an edge in this race and, and not being a politician previously? Yeah, that's a great question. And tonight I am speaking to the Colorado Federation of Young Republicans at the Broadmoor in Colorado Springs. I'm driving south to Colorado Springs right now. And uh, so I'm excited to engage with a lot of millennials, a lot of whom I find are very disillusioned about the political system, feel like neither of the parties really represents them. Uh, and uh, so it's going to be uh, interesting to hear their, their thoughts and views. Uh, but uh, clearly, millennials are our future. <laughs> and uh, uh, business, I got an MBA from Columbia Business School. And that really set me up well. I mean, I, I uh, have used that business experience to be able to, um, uh, you know, I've started my own business, built that to be successful. Uh, you know, we were an advisor to other businesses and how to grow and how to raise money and how to do, you know, merger and uh, transactions and so on. And, uh, and so I've advised hundreds of businesses. And, and I think that gives me a real differentiation among other politicians that are in this race, and that is an ability to really, I call them the three A's, to analyze, to get lots of pieces of data from disparate sources and and, uh, so on, and to figure out what the problems are, come up with solutions. Then the second A is to allocate scarce resources, and you have this in business, you have this in government. How do you allocate and prioritize the resources that you have to solve the problems that you have in front of you. And then the third A is alignment, align. So how do you align people that may have different views that you have around a similar vision or your vision? How do you lead them in order to get something done? And, uh, you know, politics is, uh, is a, there's a big challenge there. But I, I would say as I look around the, the country, and this is part of my motivation, I look at business executives several of whom have not had any previous political experience that have been elected as governors of their state and are doing amazing things. And I'll just give you three. Uh, Doug Ducey in Arizona uh, was the uh, successful ice ice cream entrepreneur uh, and uh, so on. Doug Burgum. So two of them have the name of Doug, actually. (laughs) Uh, Doug Burgum, governor of uh, North Dakota, who was a software uh, entrepreneur and uh, came in and is really revitalizing uh, his state there. And then Tim Scott in Florida. And uh, look at the way he handled the, uh, you know, hurricane situation and, and the aftermath of that and so on. And so, you know, I think having that experience and, and also wanting to come into government to solve problems, not to be somebody or not to have a career or have the title or to be this politician or whatever. No, I'm not a politician. People say, oh, you're a politician. I'm like, I'm not. I may be running for office, but, you know, I'm a businessman who wants to get in there and make a difference and then get out and uh, have no desire. I've already made enough money. I'm not looking for money in politics or or uh, any sort of prestige. I, I'm frankly frustrated about the lack of leadership to address some of our long-term issues in our state. And I uh, think that somebody that comes from outside the system can jump in and make a real difference. And so I would uh, counsel uh, you guys and, and, and gals and the, and the folks that are going to be listening to this podcast, 
business is great training for anything in life and and having that ability to really think critically about issues come to solutions uh engage and uh and you know allocate resources scarce resources and align others that helps you in whatever you do down the road and i would say make a success of yourself in business have a good family life. To me, that's one of my most important values and that I'm most proud of is uh, the success of, of my kids. And don't sacrifice, uh, you know, your, your family for, for business or any other sort of success. But, you know, be successful. And then if you have a real desire to give back, do so. Get involved in nonprofits. Get involved in politics. Get involved in some way to make a difference in your community. Doug, you mentioned a minute ago the the group of students in, or in Colorado Springs that you're speaking to, and that, that some of them have expressed concerns that the two party system might not uh, fully encapsulate their views. That's interestingly enough been something that we've talked about a couple different times on this podcast, uh, and I I know it is to be honest with you the way that I feel personally. Uh, I I grew up in a conservative household, um, and, and you know have have kind of moved increasingly towards the left along the political spectrum and, and find myself questioning if either party really uh, really represents the, the things that I believe in. And I'm curious what your message would be to what I, what I believe is a pretty significant piece of the millennial electorate that is, that is kind, of, kind of unsure and, and is certainly uh, not comfortable with a lot of the rhetoric coming out of the White House, which I know is similar to how you feel. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just curious what your message to that part of the electorate might be. Yeah, so, so, so um, my message is that we have to be inclusive. We have to look to the future. We have to look to the changes that are coming and harness these to our benefit. I mean, in, your, in the next decade, we're going to see the impact of, you know, artificial intelligence, robotics, virtual reality, autonomous vehicles, all of the bioscience um, breakthroughs and innovations, uh, these things are going to create opportunity. And, and uh, you know, I do believe in the Republican Party. I've been a Republican all my life. Uh, I think that the Republican Party is better around um, looking for uh, preparing for the future and uh, really, you know, standing up for business and for innovation and for opportunity for all. And that's the message that I'm going to speak to with them and uh, urge them to support my candidacy. And, you know, let's let's uh, support leaders that can speak to those things that, that we feel are important to our country, our state, our future. And that's the way things are going to change in a positive way. That's great. And um, what's really nice about this podcast is we were about to get sponsored and then that fell through. So we are very independent. We're independent from Fuqua. But what that allows us to do or allows me to do anyway is endorse candidates. We weren't allowed to do that previously. So for what it's, for what it's worth, as a, as a millennial, you, you've definitely got my vote in Colorado. And Doug, we really appreciate you coming on and, and chatting with us are a little you, bit. Are you a voter here in Colorado or are you, is your registration still here, Jake? Um, it it will hopefully be by the time I graduate. Okay, so, awesome. So yeah, I'm, our, I'm our hoping to get my way back there. June, the primaries in June. That's awesome. Well, thank you very much. I know that right, you're well, driving. You. Want to be conscious of your time here, and glad we were able to get you on the air. Thanks, Doug. Okay, thanks. So All much. right, thank you very much. Okay. All right, thank you. Bye bye. How cool was that? It was it was pretty great. I uh, I appreciated 
now we get to talk behind his back. Yeah, now bit. we get to talk behind his That's, back. I, the funny I, thing about the interviews is he, they're on the phone. They get, you know, say their message. And I, he's a very well-spoken. He's a, he's a friend of our families. And then they hang up. And now we get to talk behind his back. I, I think the thing that stood out to me was one of the first things he said. I, you know, he, he was willing to uh, distance himself from some of the president's rhetoric, which I appreciated while staying true to what he believes are important values in the Republican Party and important uh, concerns of the, the people of Colorado. I think, in my opinion, that's the that's the right way to run a campaign. Uh, he, one of the first things he said was be true to who you are, mm-hmm. be who you are as a politician. I think that's something we don't see nearly enough of in uh, today's world of politics. So I hope that's something that he sticks to. I wouldn't say I, I agreed with everything he said, but I found him to be uh, a seemingly credible, seemingly sincere. yeah, exactly credible, genuine, sinc- yep. sincere guy who uh, who I would be comfortable uh, as governor of my state. So, I yeah, I think actually the uh, the Bannon guy who's entering the race might be Tom Tancredo more, more problematic uh, in that it being an off cycle election and and a a primary with him as opposed to even just like thinking about it, the actual election itself, the primary, uh, in off cycle election, you the turnout does turn t- tend to be low and you tend to get the most motivated, uh, not extreme, but further, further right. If it's a Republican primary and that's exactly who that guy's talking to. And so whether or not he can drive being more moderate can drive those people to the polls where they may be a little disillusioned or less motivated and, and Bannon, I think can, if he decides to interject more, can really, you know, maybe, maybe I, cause him some problems. I I think I agree to an extent. the The history of Tancredo, this is his third time running, so he's he seems, in my view, I mean that name. If you talk to anyone from Colorado, that name's been around forever. And it's like, is he is he electable this time now because he's aligning himself with, with Bannon and and the Trump agenda? I don't know the answer to that. Um, it sounds like that was really the only opponent. We didn't talk about Stapleton and others, but that was really the opponent that Doug um, didn't sound like he feared him at all, but he said he'll probably get a significant part of the, the vote uh, come primary season, which led to the question. And I'd be curious to hear you guys uh, talk about this is do you align yourself with Trump earlier than Gillespie did? I, I think you can probably predict my answer to this question. My my view is no. My view is that, it, you know, I, I think Robbie has a point in that it is a an off cycle election, and you you could have kind of a more extreme demographic coming out to vote. But I think, it, in my view, what what we saw in, in Virginia is a good early example that there's going to be pushback against some of those views. Uh, I think that's what a lot of the pushback against Gillespie was. I mean, you heard you heard Doug mention. Uh, that people in political circles were shocked when he started coming out and and speaking in anti-immigrant, speaking kind of speaking in Trump terms. Uh, And I I think folks who might have been on his side previously were not after that. And so my view is don't align yourself with Trump unless you want to be Tom Tancredo. And I, uh, that's not personally the direction I would, I would go in. And I think someone, yep. someone like Doug who says, who's going to stay true to their values, who yep. uh, seems to be genuine in what they believe in. And, and the thing that I was really impressed by is his willingness to be 
practical and, and prag- pragmatic as a politician. I, 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 again, I don't think we see enough of that. I think we are too often uh, looking at politicians who just want to, to toe the party line. And you know that I'm not a fan of that. And I appreciated that Doug did not yeah. seem to be that way. And I, and I think, I think that's a good point. You also heard in the interview that he started saying, but Trump did this very well and he got Neil Gorsuch a Supreme court seat. And he, so he started looking at Trump's agenda and really pointed out what Trump did well. And so you see a little bit of alignment there, but those are probably things that he would have liked to have seen from any Republican in the house that doesn't have the, the polarization that Trump does. So it, I agree. I think that the hard, the hard thing to do is given it's a midterm, I don't know, midterm election, it's all about turnout. And you heard Doug say that too, is can, well, my question would be, can Trump help in turnout like he did for his own general election? Because turnout was immense last year. I, and I get that argument and you know, it might be a credible argument if your goal is to win. I think at least I like to believe, and it sounded based on our conversation with him, it sounded like Doug's goal is to win by being true to who he is, yep. not to win by being true to some segment of the Republican party that he wants to come out and vote. And, and I think in my view, that's the way that I would like politics to go. The, yep. He is the type of person that I would like to see as the, as the face of a Republican party in the, in the future of politics. Uh, I think both sides benefit the more individual candidates are true to who they actually are and are willing to consider different viewpoints. And, and that's the whole purpose of this podcast, right? Is to yeah. talk about different perspectives on issues. And uh, I, I feel like he did that really well. And so to me, if someone like Doug Robinson starts, you know, catering to the Republican base just for turnout purposes, I think that is what I believe to be the dark side of American politics. Yep. And he starts losing the values that he just talked about. Totally agree. What do you think about aligning with Trump early? Rob? I think Colorado, I mean, I guess Virginia and Colorado both went for Hillary Clinton in 2016, but I think Colorado, uh, even more so than Virginia, uh, I think people there would be less receptive. Uh, it's, you know, it's not part of the, the Southeast or the South. Um, and so I just don't, I don't even know if that translates really, uh, if it would be an effective strategy. Yeah. Um, and, and he even gave more history to Colorado politics. I had notes from, you know, year 2000 and the current makeup of their general assembly. They have 37 Democrats, 28 Republicans in the house, 18 Republicans, 17 Democrats in the Senate. So fairly mixed. I, I mean, it's, it's still an uphill battle for any Republican in that state. Um, we voted for Bush. We, the Colorado electorate voted for Bush in 2000 and 2004. And then it's been blue since. So it, it's tough. It's a, it's a tough uphill battle. Um, totally appreciate both of your guys' points that, you know, stay true to his message and he's a business guy that's been very successful and hopefully that, you know, will at least get him into the, the general next year. Can I ask you, can I ask you a question about marijuana, Jake, just yeah. to follow up? I yeah. thought that was a fascinating part of the conversation. Um, and is an issue that I think is going to continue to, you know, play in political circles and in, in coming elections. I'm curious. So, it, based on everything I've read, the tax revenue from marijuana in Colorado in the, in the last fix, fiscal year is already significantly more than it is for alcohol in Colorado. The DUI percentages, as far as I understand, are about 20% marijuana and about 80% alcohol. I'm, I'm curious, 
in your view, what the why you would be opposed to the legalization of marijuana and not have that same opposition to alcohol? I think, well, the hard part about that is introducing a new drug to a legal substance that you can acquire is is an interesting dilemma because alcohol has been around forever. Of course, there's drinking age and restrictions on driving and so forth that are all valid. We could even talk about lowering the drinking age to 18. I think there, I have somewhat of a gateway drug attitude towards marijuana. Um, in a state like Colorado, who was one of the, the leading states to legalize it, is there something that comes next? And I don't know. I, don't, I think basically when you get past marijuana, it becomes a lot more just harder core drugs is basically what what it comes down to um and is there a mentality among young people to push that boundary further so now now that marijuana is not a novelty anymore you're not there's not that rush to beat the law or get in front of the law and and you know smoke in a you know public place and it's not you get a slap on the wrist or something it's not illegal anymore so does the young generation then go to the next drug that is illegal just to get that extra rush on top of the high so i think that's that's kind of that's partially my argument the other problem with marijuana and i alluded it alluded to it in the interview with doug is it's really hard to monitor um the only way and he he was referencing some data that he talked to a woman about, I think it was yesterday. You can only tell if someone is high by via technology post-mortem. So is there a way to, and he talked about containing policies and, you know, different packaging and making sure that people know what they're buying and restricting probably purchase, but there's not a way to pull someone over because they're high driving, even though mortality rates have gone up and car accident rates have gone up and, so that that's an issue to me. So I think it's two prong. I think it's to to summarize that it's pushing the boundary to what's next, and second would be um, just monitoring issues with with people that are using. I mean, I'm not and I'm not familiar with the data, but just because there's an increase in DUIs, I mean, Colorado's population is increasing. So any of that causation sure. stuff, I, sure. I just don't know if you can really be sure. Yeah, and, it, and maybe if you look at the. I don't, I'm not familiar with the data either. So you look at the rates, how fast is the population growing versus how fast the car collisions are happening. I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I, I will say I looked it up earlier because I was curious. And I, it, based on the most recent articles I read in the Denver Post, it does sound like more, more fatal car crashes in Colorado have been testing positive for marijuana use in the past two years. I, I don't. I'm I'm curious to see kind of what the trends look like after a few years. I'm curious in in this whole industry, not just in terms of uh, car crashes. I I was just curious or if to they hear were even your testing before. Sure, yeah. I, I was just curious to hear your response. I'm yeah. Obviously, I'm in favor of the legalization of marijuana. I yeah. think it's but, uh, the tax revenue has its benefits. He also talked about the social cost though, and there's there's certainly a cost to weigh. The thing about marijuana now is. I think he addressed it pretty well and he had a very well thought out answer. I think he spent a lot of time on this one because it's a pressing, it's a hot button issue for Republicans in Colorado. 
and containment's a big deal. And then also trying to put restrictions on medical marijuana so that you do drive to the recreational use and drive taxes up. So if, because it's already been voted on, it'd be so difficult to unwind. You can't, you can't unwind it. And so what benefits can you pull from it and how do you keep it safe and in moderation uh, as as far as its usage? And I think he was pretty spot on. I think I, I couldn't argue with either of those. That yeah. that to me was a good example of kind of his pragmatic attitude. I th- I appreciated that he said, you know, I was I was not initially in favor of this. It happened and now I think we should try to get tax revenue from it. We should keep it out of the hands of kids and we should uh, try to limit black market violence surrounding the industry, whatever. I think those are fair goals. I think that's a fair approach. I, I that, That's an example of his approach that I, I appreciated, even though in principle, I think we disagreed on the, yeah. it, on the issue. Yep. I think uh, tying marijuana and then what we also talked about in terms of illegal immigration sanctuary cities, I think there's an, and I don't really know the answer, but there seems to be some inconsistency there that re- Republicans face in that they say, you know, the laws are on, these laws are on the books. We must enforce them. Therefore, no sanctuary cities will federal drug laws are also on the book, but there's a willingness to, you know, at at that point we claim, okay, states' rights, laboratories, democracy. Those seem to be conflicting positions. Um, And so I don't know what the, the grounding principle is there, but you know, whether or not you can, you can be consistent and hold both. Yeah. uh, Both positions. Cause the federal law is contrary to how the state is acting in both cases. Um, Sure. And as one, is one more sensitive to the electorate than the other. Therefore you take a harder position on it. I don't know. Um, you know, he's a businessman, but of course you've got to play the political game a little bit to, to rally some sort of base for yourself. Immigration is a really hot button issue because it's being talked about at the highest levels of our federal government and marijuana is a little bit, but it's not in the news nearly as often. So I think you just need a stronger stance on it probably. Uh, yeah, be, I don't know what the right. But I think it's I think it's a good observation. The running theme through this podcast, and Kyle followed up with a question to uh, during the interview, is the future of the two party system, and we keep coming around to it. We haven't had our full segment on discussing it, but I think by tying in episodes two through, and maybe even one two through this one, we probably come up with a full segment at this point. I think he, he managed that question pretty well in that unaffiliated vote, especially when you break it down to the millennial unaffiliated or independent, as we would call ourselves. What do you think? I mean, he, he, he's, gonna, he's addressing them tonight. How do you get someone that's maybe leaning more left back to your side in the two-party system as it holds today? Well, and maybe, you know, I, that might go back towards the question that you and I, that you, you and I talked about immediately after the interview. I think... To me, the thing that would draw me as a voter who's shifted left back towards the right a little bit is someone who's willing to distance themselves from the type of rhetoric that's coming out of the Republican Party right now. And that's why my answer to that question earlier was, uh, no, disassociate yourself with Trump. Because if you if you want, if your goal is to draw in that part of the millennial electorate that is slowly trending left, uh, what do you do? To me, that's that's the answer. But uh, Robbie, I'm curious. What's your? What are your? Uh, we've all kind of given our our voter histories and our political views on this podcast. I'm curious to know what yours is. Yeah, I, I would consider myself an Obama Democrat. Uh, that was I voted in 08, 12, and 16. 08, no 12 for Obama. Uh, voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016. How dare you? I know. And I still let you on here. Yeah. 
See that goes balance that goes back to our mission. Yes. Well, that's what that's exactly what I was gonna say. I had a hunch. That's. I mean, I I knew pretty well that's what you were, but I I would just say to folks listening out there that that is the purpose of this podcast. Uh, I I know it's been, you know, we've we've talked about a lot of things from a conservative point of view, and obviously our our host Jake Schneider's is is probably the furthest right of of any of us who contribute on here regularly. But point being, the goal is to have conversation, and and we welcome that type of conversation on this podcast. And I think a good example of that is that today we have two, two Clinton voters and myself and Robbie here with Jake doing sure. an interview of a Republican gubernatorial candidate. And that's to me the, why I do this podcast and, and what I'd like to continue to say. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. And what's funny, a little backstory about Robbie and me, when we met, um, we became very good friends pretty quickly and I forced him to read a Charles Krauthammer Krauthammer article like once I don't know it was daily for a while and then that slowed down he made me read Leonard Pitts out of the Miami Herald and it was funny because you get I don't know I think the you you have to see the other side I watch Rachel Maddow once in a while just to kind of keep a little bit of balance on on I read, my Dr- I read Drudge every day it's my go-to news source yeah it's important to know both sides of the issue um, and then and then really make an opinion out of it and you know, I would consider myself pretty fiscally conservative and there are certain social issues that I'm more liberal on. So the two party system, we can, we can talk about it ad nauseum. Well, thank you both for coming on. Uh, Doug really appreciate if you're, you, if you're listening and, and his fellow, uh, uh, you know, staff and wish you all the best in the campaign season, the, the, the primary next year. And Robbie, thanks for coming on. Kind of Happy against your here. will. But <laughs> like we do at the end of every podcast, we raise a glass to the men and women fighting overseas for giving us, allowing us the right to, or, or preserving our right to free speech and having these discussions in the first place. So that's how we sign off every time. Looking forward, we have another guest coming on. We've promised um, you know, hearing more voices than just ours. And a lot of people in the halls of the Fuqua School of Business have been actually kind of itching to come on here, too. So we will have a diverse group of individuals in the coming episodes. So stay tuned and over and out. Rocky Mountain High